I'm Bill. And I'm T-Dog. And this is Two, two Films, films three, three Curious, where the, the three five of us... Ah, oh, shit. <laughs> the three of us watch two movies. And we are curious about them. Curious about them. We are joined today by special guest, Devin. This is Devin. Say hello to the co-tagonists. Hello, co-tagonists. Uh, Devin joined us as we watched uh, the Boz Lerman Romeo plus Juliet. The plus it's is important, yeah, it is. It's vital. And... Joss Whedon's Much Ado About Nothing. And we're talking about adaptation, again. Specifically. But specifically Shakespearean Shakespearean adaptation. And Mm -hmm. a little bit more specifically, modern Shakespearean (laughs) adaptation. (laughs) Yes. Tyler, do you have information about the bard himself? I do. And this first sentence is like, oh, really? He's an English poet, playwright, and actor. I don't think I knew he was an actor. That's not even a joke. Obviously, he's, he's widely regarded as the greatest writer in the English language and possibly the world's greatest playwriter, or playwright, as you would say. I don't know. That uh, Spider-Man one was pretty great. His works include 39 plays, 154 sonnets, two narrative poems, some other... It says a few other verses. Okay. Um, some of uncertain authorship. That's all that it goes into on the first... On the Wikipedia about that. Um... They've been translated to every major living language and are performed, of course, more often than any other playwrights' uh, plays. I didn't know about these narrative poems. I don't know what those are. I mean, I know what a narrative poem is. We just did the which ones he's one. his are. But yeah, I didn't are these like are these like epic poems? Do either of you know? Is that a thing that you guys know idea. about? I don't know about these narrative poems. No, no. I don't okay. want to say and be wrong. So. Okay, <laughs> I'm curious about his few other verses. Yeah, just like their little. Well, like he was featured on he was featured on a Motorhead release once. He wrote a couple of lines for a Motorhead song um, back when like they had first started off. Um, it's because Let Me Kill Meister met him while they were doing Hawkwind, uh, but that's not <laughs> it's not important. Um, so yeah, that's that's uh, that's William Shakespeare. For those of you who don't know, I, guess. <laughs> I don't want to be that guy that's like everybody knows who Shakespeare is, but I feel like probably everybody's got a pretty good idea of who Shakespeare is. At least heard of him. Yeah. So uh, now we'll summarize. So Romeo and Juliet, the Boz Lerman Romeo and Juliet. Plus. Romeo plus Juliet. Excuse me. William Shakespeare's Romeo plus Juliet uh, is a, a, a modern retelling of the Romeo and Juliet story where the Capulets and Montagues are like crime families in Fair Verona. In fact, like the opening, instead of being like a Greek chorus-y thing, is... Like a newscast, which I thought was super neat. It's so cool. And uh, a group of Capulets and a group of Montagues show up at a gas station and tussle. And have an then, altercation. Yeah. And then the chief of police is like, "No, guys, don't do it." You see, like this is the last time, we're, right? Like the next time, there it's, will be it's gonna be we're gonna be a sad day. Spoiler alert. Right. <laughs> and then uh, the fat dad from Repo the Genetic Opera uh, is like, hey, my Capulet family, let's just have a party instead. And so they're like, yes, let's. And then uh, Romeo shows up there because he's all bummed out that some lady doesn't want to be with him. And his friends Rosaline. are like, yes, yeah. And I forgot her name because so does he. <laughs> Real <true>. fast. <laughs> Real fast. And so he and his other Montague friends and the chief of police's relative that's also Romeo's friend is like hey let's just go crash this Capulet party and they all dress up and they go to the party and Romeo falls in love with Juliet well lust love I guess that's open to interpretation it doesn't pray. matter yes and they, they they give a nice sonnet it's a lot of hand touching yeah hands touches pilgrim's lips did <laughs> back in the day uh, and then oh they have to piece right out of that party but then Romeo shows back up later and uh, creeps on her window and then they have a nice talk. They make out. They make out. And Fall then the pool. they do. And then Romeo's like, no, we're going to lock this up. We're going to get married. And so they go to a kindly priest um, who's also the guy in Usual, Unusual Suspects. Usual Suspects. <laughs> he has a huge cross Huge back tat. We're going to get to that when we talk about questions nice too. Nice back tats in that Yes. <laughs> a lot of dope back tats. And uh, he's, they're like, priest, let's get married. And he's like, fine. Actually, no, this should be great. Maybe you families won't fight so much yeah. no more. Uh, and so they get married, and then they do it. 
and then no. Tybalt no, kills. No, they haven't done it yet. They oh, do okay. It. They get married, and then the Capulet guy kills Romeo. The kills guy who fixes Mercutio. John Wick's car. Yeah, yeah. kills. Yeah, <laughs> kills Mercutio. Kills Mercutio, and they gotta go find Romeo. And then they do it. <laughs> And then they're like, we gotta go, because Romeo... Oh, Romeo kills Tybalt, because Tybalt killed Mercutio. Yep. Yes. 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 Okay. God, I sound like my English 4 teacher. I know, I'm having all these flashbacks to, like, former students. It's... My English 4 teacher... This is an aside. My English 4 teacher one time, I was asleep in English 4, and she was like, but how does the end of Romeo and Juliet happen? Like, I can't remember. Who dies? Who dies? And it's, like, round and round for, like, ten minutes, and so I fully wake up from my nap, and I was like... Juliet fakes her death. Romeo doesn't find out that she's faking it. Romeo gets there, drinks poison. Juliet wakes up, realizes Romeo is actually dead, tries to kiss the poison off his lips, and then stabs herself in the heart with, his, with a dagger. And she's like, oh, great, thanks. And then I fell back asleep. And Robert McCarthy, the coolest guy in school, was like, Bill, you deserve an A for that. And I've been writing that one for like ten years. Anyways. That's about how long that story was. <laughs> and I think ultimately that's the end of Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> Romeo left gets out exiled. Paris completely. Yeah, well, Paris. That's the whole reason the she chief feels like she has to fake her death is because her dad's gonna make her marry. Paris. Oh yeah, Paul Rudd is there. Paul Rudd. And how did you forget about? Paul how could you not want to marry Ant Man? Right. Marry Ant-Man. Yeah, Paul Rudd is there, and the repo guy is like, "You got to marry Paul Rudd," and she's like, "I'm still mourning the death of John Leguizamo, and I'm not gonna marry Paul Rudd." And so they have an altercation. Right, and then she fakes her death. Because, the friar helps her. Right, yeah. The priest is like, nah, we can do this. We'll fake your death. And I'm going to send a FedEx to <laughs> Romeo. And so she fakes her death, but then some stupid fucking altar boy is like, oh no, she's really dead? And the priest is like, that's not going to be a problem. But then the altar boy drives to Romeo and he's like, Romeo, she's dead. And Romeo's like, no! And so uh, he goes and asks, Mimit, the melty guy from Christmas of the Cranks. <laughs> For some poison, and he gives Romeo some poison, and Romeo goes and kills himself, and then Juliet shoots herself, and then the chief of police is like, "You see what you done?" And then the news happens. Yeah. Wow. Nailed it. That's Romeo and Juliet. I feel like I just watched it again. Baz Luhrmann is good, but <laughs> so am I. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean that's also I guess important. It's a Baz Luhrmann movie, so it's weird as fuck, but also beautiful and wonderful. Mm, yes. So, Much Ado About Nothing. Yes. Um, which I hadn't really put together until we watched them back to back, but has a lot of the same tropes. Yes. Famous Shakespeare tropes as uh, Romeo and Juliet. So, the opening is in Messina, another Italian town. Yep. But in this adaption, it's just kind of like a nice house in the hills. Very nice. Yes. Yeah. Which is actually Joss Whedon's actual home. But, uh,. We see the arrival of Don Pedro with his brother, Don John, who is a villain, a self-proclaimed villain. Right, he's, he's very comfortable with being a villain. Right. And actually, uh, as an aside, in the Kenneth Branagh version, is played by Keanu Reeves. Yes, he is. And he does a Everyone great job. Everyone needs to go watch him make that villain speech, because it's, it is something. Yeah, it is. But they arrive, um, and he has his sort of faithful soldiers with him, Benedict and Claudio, and they come to Leonato's house. Uh, Leonardo has an only daughter, Hero, and then her cousin, Beatrice, is also at the house, and they've come to stay and celebrate the ending of their war, and uh, there's sort of like a meet-cute between Claudio and Hero, and Claudio wants to ask for Hero's hand in marriage, um, but Don John... Don Pedro's brother sort of sees this as his opportunity to cause some trouble. Uh, so he orchestrates this plan to sort of make Claudio think that the prince wants Hero for himself. And it happens at this huge masked ball, which is also in Romeo and Juliet. Right. Mm-hmm. And so several different deceptions happen throughout the course of the play. Uh, there's some history that's hinted at in the actual text, but in this adaption, we see there is some definite uh, it's history very explicit. <laughs> between <laughs> Benedict and Beatrice. And they're sort of those people, you know, in high school that are always really mean to each other, but you can tell it's just because they really like each other. Like me and my brother. 
But <laughs> <laughs> which one, Nick or Jimmy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't listen to this podcast, so it's we can make actually. fun of them all we want. Yeah, Tyler. <laughs> We're always so mean to each other, but it's because we hug um, outside. Right, of and so they kind of spar with each other during the whole thing, and everyone's like, "Get a room already." Yeah. Uh, so their friends decide they're going to try and put them together by making them both overhear conversations that the other one is in love with the other one. And they totally fall for it. Like, it's so easy. They're talking so loudly. (laughs) Even though I'm just rolling around on the ground, they can't see me. Right. (laughs) I think that, I think that, I mean, we'll probably talk about this later, but I think it's indicative of the fact that they were so obviously deeply in love. Yes. That they believed such a thinly (laughs) (laughs) Or it could have to do with the other addition that Joss Whedon made, which is that they're all drunk the entire movie. <laughs> True. Yeah. Wait, they start drinking, drinking at the beginning. How many liquid breakfasts yeah. that they have? And like, they don't stop. Like, it's worse than, what, that whole Christmas where breakfast was two Modellos. Like, they're even more deep <laughs> into it than that. I don't think... Do you ever see food being eaten, really? Maybe right, at even the mass t- they, 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 right. they discuss brunch and dinner, but they you don't you see never, it. Yeah. But I feel like that's a great creative modern way to explain maybe help explain yeah. right. some of their behavior i'd be interested to see what he would do with oh what's the one with the fairies midsummer nights yeah yeah. Just, yeah just well that's what i thought of yeah uh, yeah but um so their plan works mm-hmm. um also the mm-hmm. uh engagement between claudio and hero is arranged mm-hmm. they're going to be married and that's when Don John decides to enact his plan with the help of his like little minions. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they decide to his servant Baraccio knows one of the maids there. And so he goes and seduces her wearing Hero's clothes. And he sets up uh, you know, that they're at this window and he brings Don Pedro and Claudio to see it. And so like, look, look at this. And then they immediately are like Oh yeah, we hate her. Like, and so instead of talking to her about it, like a reasonable person, uh, he decides, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna Go publicly mm-hmm. humiliate her at the wedding. This is why you shouldn't have wine for breakfast. <laughs> right. And so they have the whole thing. Like, everyone's there for the wedding. Everyone's ready, and the priest pretty much asks him like you know are you here to be married and he says no and then he causes this whole scene and calls her a whore of course because it's just what you do and then she is she passes out from the humiliation of it which is a very shakespearean thing yeah. to do yeah uh, she got the vapors to die <laughs> and so uh the priest a la romeo and juliet concocts this plan that okay we need to fake hero's death and cause claudio to rethink his bad decisions and then we'll play that reverse uno card right yeah. on him exactly and then he'll be so grateful when we, he we reveal that hero is alive that he'll marry her which that sounds like know, the foundation yeah of yeah. yeah i don't know why you would still want to be married to this man but you do well, you girl he's, he's a genius okay. he's a genius is he? Yeah, he after this after when they get married, he goes and sets up that whole thing where you can dump your brain into at the dollhouse. Yeah, he invents the dollhouse. <laughs> he invents that software. Yeah, Fran Krantz, the actor, yeah, is in Dollhouse. Oh, that too. <laughs> so, uh, meanwhile, uh, the chief of security mm-hmm. in the play, I, the I chief know of two police. Oh, that's right. You right. know Nathan Fillion, of course. <laughs> Nathan Fillion, the wonderful Nathan Fillion. That's what he does after Firefly. Right. He uh, plays Dogberry. Um, so well meaning. <laughs> so well meaning. Completely right. inept. The chief Wiggum of Shakespeare. Right. <laughs> yeah. uh, and he somehow, he and his men somehow stumble into actually catching Don John's companions. Totally right. by mistake. Yeah. Right. Uh, and because of their uh, ineptness, it takes a while for them to actually uncover what's happened, but then they do, and they bring the um, Baraccio and Conrad to Don Pedro. It's revealed, oh, it was a set a setup the whole time. Hero never really did this, and it's only then that Claudio 
kind of feels any sort of remorse oh, about no. it. Yeah. Yeah. I killed her. And then he feels real <laughs> bad. Yeah. Goodness. Uh, so they have a funeral, mm-hmm. and then Leonato basically tells Claudio he's obligated to marry his other daughter because he killed the first one. He doesn't even say, like, she looks just like her. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. I think he does, actually. Yeah, he's like, yeah. totally right. Right. intel. Right. Uh, so, so before we get to the second wedding, um, the other subplot between Benedict and Beatrice was that when Hero Fake dies... Beatrice sort of uh, tries to get Benedict to challenge Claudio um, because he's killed her cousin. Right. And like challenge to a right. to a to a murder right. challenge, a murder, a challenge. duel. Yes. Yeah. A Hamilton challenge. style. Yeah. Right. And so uh, he decides to take up the cause, and he goes and challenges him. And uh, honestly, it sort of fizzles out real fast. Once they catch uh, Conrad and Baraccio, and potentially the most reasonable thing that happens <laughs> in, this, <laughs> in this play, yeah. And so, uh, I think that's sort of the final step Benedict takes to realizing that he really loves Beatrice, and he decides he wants to marry her. So then, at the end, we get a good old double wedding, double, double wedding. wedding, double wedding, double wedding, two films, two weddings, yeah. Oh, there was four wedding. people. There were, I guess there were three weddings. Three between weddings. The, three, the movies. Well, Plus does a the double wedding one. count as two weddings or one? It counts as three. One and a half. It's it's a <laughs> wedding between each of the people getting married, and a union between those two couples. It's a quadruple. Ah. Oh really. no. <laughs> Modern. Yes. Modern Shakespeare. That's full circle. Thank you guys for listening to our podcast, and we love you. No, I'm just kidding. I think I made that joke many times on the podcast. That's the end of it. I'm it's sorry. okay. It Anyways. gets funnier every time. We'll get, we'll oh, get, thanks three, we'll get three more in the same You guys one. are my biggest support. Also, co-tagonist Brenda, who would be sad if I said that she was not also high up on that list. Okay, so, double wedding. And that's, I'm in that's, oh, that's it. They get married that's and live happily ever after. Theoretically, everything is good again. Yes. Theoretically. Theoretically. Isn't barachio a type of bean? <laughs> Can't you go to a restaurant and order barachio beans? I think that's what the internet's for. I don't know. Oh, well, we don't have internet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, well, yeah, so that's Romeo plus Juliet and Much Ado About Nothing, as done by Bas Lerman and Joss Whedon. Joss Whedon. Whedon. There we go. Okay, so uh, similarities and differences... I think that it's interesting that both I was thinking about this after watching the Romeo and Juliet one mm-hmm. about how it's amazingly stylistic and what I remember from the Joss Whedon one was that it wasn't. Except that yeah. I think that they're both very stylistic. It's just two very different yeah. styles. It's not that one is just sort of like, oh, people doing Shakespeare but they're in suits and one is Boz Lerman. No, Joss Whedon's style is very distinct and specific as well. It's just a much more subtle style. Well, I think what I was thinking about a lot was they both have different styles, but the purpose of the style is to highlight the language. Okay, yeah. Because um, Romeo and Juliet is the second movie in Baz Luhrmann's uh, Red Curtain trilogy. Okay. And so his Red Curtain trilogy is where he decided to do movies that feature sort of tropes or like things in film the first one was uh, strictly ballroom so that was dancing yeah romeo plus juliet is verse speech. okay and then moulin rouge is the last one which is music okay and so i think you know even though his style can be really overwhelming i think the entire point of everything in the film is to make the language more accessible and literally just when you said that explanation like i already like moulin rouge better even still, based on that, I'm like, oh, it clicks now. But I think that you're right. In fact, I have later on that I have always struggled with understanding Shakespearean English. Mm-hmm. And although both do a, a pretty okay job of helping me understand it, I understand the language as it's presented in Romeo and Juliet far more mm-hmm. easily than I do in Much Ado About Nothing. Well, there's a lot, more, a lot more visual cues. Yes. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, which I really like. There's a. I was talking to Jack, I think, although other people may have been a part of that conversation, about how I think that Logan looks better in black and white 
and I actually got a little bit bored watching Mad Max in black and white when both of these movies had done their black and white versions. Mm-hmm. And I think that in a similar, I think it's because Logan, the color is almost a distraction and the black and white helps you focus on what's important versus Mad Max where the color is very important and black and white takes out the story chunk. And I think that this might be the same thing. That the, absur- that the out- outrageous style of Baz Luhrmann helps highlight what he wants you to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. And the toned down version that Joss Whedon does is to make you pay attention to what mm-hmm. he wants you to yeah. pay attention and to. The second film is in black and white. Yes, I guess we've never actually said that. Much Ado About Nothing isn't entirely black and white. Yeah, it's in black and white. It's the camera angles are not particularly outrageous. There's a couple of like looking behind a bush at things, but for the most part, (laughs) or in you know like in a high window. Right. But for the most part, it's just a conventional things. Right. It's it's in an attempt to sort of get you to feel like you're also walking around in this house. Less than to be, you know, right. Well, the I was things Boz Lerman does sometimes. The sort of genesis of that movie was Joss Whedon would have sort of like Shakespeare nights okay. at his house, and it would just be his friends. It wasn't anything formal, it was like a party. And they would pick a script, people would get parts, and they would sit around and drink and basically like make their own TV and just read the play together. Oh, fun. And that's where Much Ado comes from. Why don't we do that? He just. He didn't even. He just filmed his friends. They were just doing yeah. the play anyway. Well, exactly. No. no one's <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. right. Because I think he was on a break from Avengers, and his wife said, "You need to do it now, or you're not going to do it." And it was just a fun project that they decided to do. But I think you know it's in black and white, and it's so simplistic because that's what the film is all about. It's just about letting the words tell the story. Right. As opposed to Baz Luhrmann, who seems to be wanting to tell the story of the words. Yes. Profound. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You need wow. to have a sound effect for when you say something profound. I just, I'm just going to continue to say <laughs> the word profound. <laughs> just gonna... Profound. All right. Do you guys have any? Uh, I mean, I've got a whole list of similarities and differences, but do you guys have any other things you want to bring up? Um, just expanding on the use of color in Romeo plus Juliet, mm-hmm. that he uses the colors. And kind of the personalities of the Montagues and the Capulets to really make them distinct. Yeah. They're yeah. very different people and different people in the houses. In the play, I feel like when you're reading it, obviously you know who's associated with who based on how they feel about Romeo and or Juliet. Right. But it's just like this crime family and this crime family. There's right. no... And when their gangs show up, it's like a bunch of Capulets and you know the Capulets because they're just called like just the cause... Capulets. Yeah. Right. Well, especially, like, I think Tyler and I were talking about the st- their style. Like, yes. especially the two yeah. crews. You can tell so much about who they are and why they choose to act the way they do based on their style. Not even just as a way to dis- to tell them apart right. visually, yeah. but also emotionally and what's it mean when goal-wise. Goal yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think that I've always felt this, at least of the Baz Luhrmann movies I've seen so far. I think that Baz Luhrmann's movies ask you to take it seriously at the level that the movie wants you to. That is to say that if you're not ready to watch a Baz Luhrmann movie, I'm not sure that you're going to like it. And I don't think I don't think Much Ado About Nothing asks you to take it similarly seriously. Although I think that once I was ready to engage with Romeo and Juliet, it made it a lot more easy. Again, for the language, it made it a lot easier for me to understand than much about nothing. Yeah. I'm really glad we had subtitles for both. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the main similarity that I've always thought about the plays, not, not even just thinking about the movies, but the plays themselves, is that they're sort of, like, misgenred a lot of the time. Okay. Because I think, you know, people see Romeo and Juliet as a romance when it's a tragedy. Yeah. Um, And then Much Ado is supposedly a comedy, but there's a lot of heavy, serious stuff that happens. And I've always thought of it as like a revenge narrative because the whole thing from beginning to end is about Beatrice trying to get revenge. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's another similarity between them is that they're sort of genre bending in a way, but I, they've also just sort of been classified as one aspect of their plot. Okay. Would you consider 
is the thing that we talked about with Lars and the Real Girl. Even if they are being misgenred as one facet of their plot, would you say that... I mean, I don't think that this is the case for Romeo and Juliet, but would you say that, that the, the bulk of Much Ado About Nothing is comedy? And that's why people sometimes call it a comedy? Or is it just the easiest part of it to see is the comedy? And oh, I think for sure it's the easiest part to see. Okay. But, like, interestingly, both plays sort of start with a warning to the audience. Because in Romeo and Juliet, you have the prologue, which in the, ba- the Baz Luhrmann one is the newscaster. Mm-hmm. Which is so cool. I love that. And it's basically saying, like, this is a story about what not to do. Yeah. And even at the end, when the captain tells the families, like, this was your fault, like, the whole thing of Romeo and Juliet, to me, is supposed to be pointing out what happens when you when you try to control people or when, you know, you live in this sort of world of violence. These are the repercussions, uh, you know, on your children. This is what will happen. And then in Much Ado, um, it doesn't happen in the Joss Whedon one, but in the in the Kenneth Branagh one, in the play, there's a song called Sigh No More, and it basically is issuing, like, sort of this forecast that sigh no more, ladies, because men are idiots, and this play proves <laughs> why they are. Um, so both both plays have a point to make about here's here is a picture of what society is like when you do these things wrong. That's what he did a lot, though, right? Yeah, Like, absolutely. William Shakespeare was a sort of a... That's why he was commentating on yeah. society. Yeah, for, yeah sure. for sure. Yeah. Well, his plays were also for the common people. Right. Everybody else so like, not oh, sitting yeah, on a cushion. Yeah. I get, yeah, that, yeah. That was me last week. To everybody else <laughs> not sitting on a cushion. <laughs> yeah. So I think they definitely have that in common. Boz Lerman is much more read- readily, much more ready to add things that were not the original Shakespearean English into his movie when the boys' choir at the church starts singing when doves cry and stuff like that. I was going to say the music in general. Well, yeah, yeah. The adding soundtrack. songs, though, is a very Shakespearean thing to do. But Joss Whedon didn't do it. Yeah, he did. Well, I mean, he's, but he, he sang wrote, the song that was in the But thing. he wrote a modern version of those songs and performed okay. it. Okay. Which is very Shakespearean. This is 1,000% unrelated, and we may actually cut it out. <laughs> um... Is there is the Mumford and Sons album or song "Sign No More"? Is that related to yes. this? Yes. Okay. It know. is the text oh, of "Sign No More," uh, and also other famous lines from "Much Ado About Nothing." He says, "You know, man is a giddy thing." Okay. It uses all hmm. of the Shakespearean text in that song. Neat. I guess I need to listen to that song for reals this time, and not just <laughs> as one of an album. I think where even I if you don't like Mumford and Sons, that song is pretty good. Okay. Uh, I have some narrative similarities. Okay. Yeah. So both of them involve pretending to be dead. Yes. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. And both of them, they have a kind of a a man of the cloth who's overly optimistic. Yes. Although his plan does work out in, in much, much ado. ado. Right. His plan horribly backfires in Romeo plus Although Juliet. ultimately his big plan was to try and get the Montagues and Capulets to stop fighting, and I think wow, they this did. Wow, playing 4D chess. <laughs> right. He was like, "I'm going to sacrifice these two kids." Oh, All right. Long game. Right. Everybody, everybody else out here in the big in the stakes. what in the 1500s, and he's living in 2500. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess they did both kind of work out. According, according to the priests, yeah. they both, were, both of these are happy right. plays. <laughs> Romeo and Juliet, the classic optimistic comedy. Um, I like that both, and I think it's just a part of them being set in modern times when they say swords, they have guns. In yeah, their hands. I've got that rid of my thing. I like that. I really like that. Um, because, you know, in modern times, they could still have swords. Sure. Especially if they're these fancy rich people. Or... Right, they probably have those shields that protect, protect against bullets, but not swords. They're rich enough to have them. They I mean, could be pirates. They could be pirates. They could be pirates. Romeo and Juliet was supposed to be about pirates. That dude's written a lot of pirate plays. Yeah. I can never keep them straight. I can't remember which one's which. I just remember that some of them have pirates. Um, I think the pirates threw you off. Everything's yeah. better with pirates. That's science facts, not science fiction. That's gamers too. Yes. <laughs> which we need for our other podcast. Feel free to listen to that episode as well. Um, 
But that one had the really awful D&D movie in it, right? Yeah, we don't have to watch the movies. We okay. just have to listen to the yeah. podcast. Yeah. Um, not a similarity, but a, something I noticed in Romeo and Juliet is that they had a lot of underwater shots. Like oh, camera yeah. shots. They had when Romeo throws his mask and it's sinking. They had at the very beginning when you first meet Juliet and she's like washing her face or she's just like waking up with yeah. her face in the water. They fall into the pool a lot. There's just a lot of water in that movie. Yeah, which is weird because Joss Whedon lives in California, theoretically on the coast. Could they not have gone to the water there? Well, not they have that, that, that really in fancy house. infinity pool. That they, they did, that's true. Yeah. And uh, Dr. Simon Tam was in it. Mm-hmm. He was just standing there with a cramps. scuba mask yeah. on. Yeah. And they brought him a drink. Yeah. Well, that's That's, <laughs> that's how they cramps. confused that's, him. Yeah. Because yeah. when if you don't do whatever to the goggles, they're all foggy. <laughs> You gotta spit in them. Like if you have a sweaty forehead sometimes. I don't know who would have that. I think that uh, it's interesting that although both are technically modern adaptations, the Joss Whedon one is the only one that feels present day. Like even even in the late 90s and early 2000s, uh, it feels like Boz Lerman is making an alternate version yeah. of Earth. As opposed to Joss Whedon's thing, apart from the language, that could be happening at anybody's fancy house. I feel like all of his movies, though, exist in their, in his world. The Lerman Cinematic Universe. Yeah. <laughs> the Because I could totally see like all of the Red Curtain movies yeah. existing in the same world. Okay. Um, but they all have that really, like, it's his style and it's really cohesive across all of the movies. Okay. I like that. Uh, I think that as they are modern adaptations of the original Shakespearean English, I think that it's interesting. I mean, of course, they would do this. They're actors and are trained to. But the dialogue seems really effortless from in both movies, and especially in the Joss Whedon one. Based on facial cues and the way that they're acting, it's as if they're just speaking regularly, and this is just the way that they speak, which is nice. I think that's just because they're actors. I think you're right on that. Yeah. Well, but I mean, like, even like the, even like the, like the, they're the big good actors. Right. Like, <laughs> sometimes when, like, in, in the Boz Lerman one, when they're doing, like, a, like, Mercutio's sonnet is a, a little outrageous and good and fun and it the fits in map. the movie. Right. But a similar thing like that in the Joss Whedon one would not be that loud. I think Mercutio is just loud. Yeah, he is. But like, even like the the priests are, one is very subtle and one is very not. I think That's it true. adds. I think it adds. I mean, it's it's part of just the style of the two movies that one is a much more subtle Subdued. movie. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um. I found Much Dubon, I think, to be more difficult to follow, but I think that's just because I was not as familiar with it. In fact, even as you went Same. through the summary, when you said names, I didn't know who those people were. I knew, but only because this is my second time watching this movie and third time or fourth time watching this play. Okay. But also, I don't know it as well as Romeo and Juliet. But still, as we got closer to the end, I, I understood yeah. what was going on. Once I was able to... I was. I think it's just because I started recognizing people's faces. Yeah. I didn't know anyone's name, but I was no. like, oh, he's the guy that's in love. Yeah, I know. Even as someone that knows some of these actors, I still had trouble keeping some of them separate. I think that's maybe another difference between them, is I think, like, the audience. Because I could see, like, Romeo and Juliet. I mean, a lot of teachers play it when mm-hmm. they're reading the play. I watched which, that, yeah. that same one in high school. Which yeah. is a lot of kids, like, their first exposure to Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. And so Romeo and Juliet is a good way to introduce Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. And then maybe, you know, the Much Ado is really for people who already love it. Right. Okay. So they don't really have to spend as much time making sure you understand yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That makes sense. Hmm. I didn't think about that, but yeah. I have a thing on here about archetypes, religious leaders, guns, and a whole bunch of other stuff we've already talked about. <laughs> um, we can go to questions. Do you have a lot yeah, of questions? I do have a lot of questions. Yeah. So yeah, let's. Uh, I guess we can jump right into the questions. Question. Yes. What does wherefore mean? Question one. <laughs> <laughs> means why? Dope. Cool. Yeah. Like means for, like, she's saying, for what? She's saying why they are you They said it Romeo? in both plays. 
Right. But that's <laughs> the famous Romeo, Romeo, wherefore yeah. are the... She's yeah. saying, why it's, are you Romeo? Why do you have to be... I didn't right. answer that question on OK Cupid, and I'm glad that I didn't, because I think he probably wouldn't have talked to me. Was that a question? that question wrong. They're yeah, like, yeah, what does wherefore mean in Romeo and Juliet? And I remember the first time I answered it, I answered it, and then it was wrong. Like, I went and looked it up afterwards, and it was wrong. <laughs> and you can put a little comment <laughs> on the question, and I'm like, I know I got it wrong now. I looked it up to make sure, but I figured, you know... In the interest of honesty, I wanted to make sure that you guys knew that I answered it wrong. The oh, first so you time. didn't just change your answer? You put a comment saying you were wrong? Yeah. <laughs> honesty is the best policy, you guys. That is, yeah, that's what it means. Why? Yes. If you have a lot, you can go okay. do two or three questions. <clears throat> if you were to have a sweet back tattoo, <laughs> like they have in the Boz Lerman William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet what would your sweet back tattoo be? mine would be the Tree of Gondor that's a dope back tattoo fill up my whole back with it that's yeah. really cool actually that's super dope right like no joke you should actually get that as a back tattoo <laughs> I can't think of anybody that would think that's a bad idea I think I would get either just like really classic unicorn on a rainbow. Yeah. Or I would get Lady Gaga as a motorcycle from nice. the Born This Way album. For the unicorn one, are we talking more like 80s metal band van or Lisa Frank? No, not Lisa. I mean, I love Lisa Frank. Oh, for sure. Wrong. But then maybe not tattoo love. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't feel like it's a taboo tattoo love yeah it would translate that well into a tattoo valid I want Steve-O's face on my back just like Steve-O's back tattoo not your own face? no not Tyler's well, then face? It's I not... want your face well then it's <laughs> I would much rather you get Tyler's face than my face <laughs> no I'm gonna get Starman the rush symbol the star and the guy and he's like ah. the star and the man yeah I wanna I'm gonna have a <laughs> naked like, guy it is what it's called it's yeah, crazy it's a star man. <laughs> yeah it's a Starman it's a Starman <laughs> And then next week, you get a little tiny Starman from Mario. I'm going I'm to get a big Starman on my back and then a little one on the front on my pocket so that I look like a t-shirt. <laughs> oh, my God. You can get the pocket tattooed on there, too. Yeah, I'm going to do that. These are important questions we're asking here on Two Films, Two Curious. Three. Three films. You already forgot about Seven Curious. <laughs> I would never forget about you. I forgot about Tyler. <laughs> Question? Oh, I've got so many, but I, I, Tyler, I, I, I got a question. I'll, I'll go into the. I'll go into my question. Yeah. So, what is your favorite Shakespeare play? Othello. Okay, we're gonna expand on that once we all answer it, I guess. Oh. Mine is actually Much Ado. Spent oh. a lot of time talking about Much Ado in college. One might say that's why this film was one I of the ones for you. I made a lot of ado. <laughs> yeah. You made a lot of ado <laughs> about Much Ado. <laughs> You much, much ado, ado about well, much know, ado I was, about nothing. I was like, well, it's not about nothing. It's about the play. Well, that's why you did much ado <laughs> about much ado about nothing. I think if you're like, a, if you're an angsty girl in mm -hmm. high school and you like Shakespeare, yes. your two options are it's like Taming of the Shrew or uh, <laughs> Much Ado, or basically uh, that's rhymed. Ten things, ten things I hate about you. Right. It also rhymes. Or Much Ado. Much Man. Ado, Taming the Shrew. Why didn't we do this whole you? podcast I, in verse? I always thought that Beatrice was funnier than... Than the Taming of the Shrew yeah. lady, yeah. I liked her better because yeah. you could still tell that she was, like, a person and right. like, kind she of vulnerable. Had, yeah. And, like, she had a good reason for being so mean to him. Right. The Taming of the Shrew person, as is the really the name of the play... And all of the adaptations I've seen really just sort of seems grumpy all the time. Yeah, she's a grump. Yeah. Which, I mean, if you're a grump, sure, you're a grump. absolutely. And that's probably why people like that one a lot. But it makes much to do about nothing right. a little bit yeah. nicer because it's not a grumpy one. Oh, and I also, um, it was the selected play for the Renaissance year in, in Academic Decathlon. Ah, there you go. You didn't do it then. I didn't do it that year. I just you tried did. to join in at the end and still claim to be an architect. So. Yeah, well, you know what? The Civil War year was great and I still know all the songs. <laughs> so, Tyler, what's your favorite Shakespeare play? My favorite Shakespeare play is Macbeth. Actually. Ah. Yeah, it's got ghosts in it. I know. It's bad luck. I do. I love that movie, though. I feel like it's proactive play, bad movie, luck because I set the stuff on fire. 
Yeah, it, that's why. <laughs> yeah. It knew I was going to say. Yeah. I've never read but, Macbeth or seen it. Why is it your favorite play? I just like how everyone unravels and then everyone dies. Okay. <laughs> I want to watch. It's very similar. I like Romeo and Juliet a lot. People also unravel and die in that. This is unrelated to the podcast. Again, we might cut this part out too. I need to watch that. I just learned about that Shakespeare Retold DVD that you gave me. It's really awesome. They have a because it's it's just episodes and the it's Macbeth Shakespeare plays. And Macbeth is a it's a, uh, a, a, a restaurant. Chef, yeah, he's a chef. And he's played by James McAvoy. And the ghosts. And the Michael ghosts, Fassbender plays him in the new movie. So this is like an X Men. Boom. The ghosts are janitors, right? Is that what it is? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But uh, the Olivia Coleman is in one of them, but I can't the, remember the what. Shakespeare retold for uh, Much Ado is that Benedict and Beatrice are competing uh, news like, anchors. News That's anchors. right. Yeah. Um, it's really good, actually. Anchor is Anchorman Much Ado about nothing. Yes. And Billy Piper from Doctor Who plays Hero. Ah. Yeah, I saw some... Oh, because I saw Olivia Coleman, and then I saw that she was in Shakespeare Retold as a small yeah. bit part, and then I clicked if, and found out why. So. If any of the co-tagonists have not heard of Shakespeare Retold, you should absolutely check it out. It's really, really cool. And it's on DVD. Yeah. So there you go. You can get it on Amazon. I think I like Othello the best because... Um, oh, I think that... It's helpful to remember to not be so... I think of all of the tragic Shakespearean characters and their flaws, I think that I could easily find myself re overreacting in a similar fashion to Othello, and I think that Othello is a helpful play to remember. Not not at that level. <laughs> I was like, for do same... I need to be concerned No. <laughs> <laughs> not at that level. But in that same idea, like, someone says... Hey man, this thing is, you know, I don't know. Just I remember reading it in high school and thinking like, oh, maybe I should not take things so seriously. Do you have a favorite line from it? Uh, a reputation is gone, and the what does he says something? I've lost the thing most important to me, and what is left is bestial, or something like that. That's my good. reputation. Do you have a favorite line from yours? I think my the line that makes me laugh the most is Benedict's excuse for getting married, which is. The world must be peopled. <laughs> <laughs> I like in Macbeth when Macduff has found out that his whole family's been killed, and the guy who forget the guy who told him his name, but he's like, "Mama, we got to get revenge," and he's like, "I, but first I must feel it as a man." And I think that's awesome. Yeah. I think that's very progressive for what for Shakespearean times yeah. to be like. First, he's got to he'll get his revenge. First, he's got to process this. Yeah. And, you know, in a time and in, in most plays when all the men just act out in anger, like, immediately. Like <laughs> yes. You have someone who's like, no, let me let me think about this. Let me feel I know. And then I'm going to get my revenge. And he does. Are you sure he said feel it as a man? Or did he say, I must feel a man? And then he punches a guy. No, he just, he just gives him a nice tap on the cheek. Oh, okay. That's good. That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was a good question. Yeah, I like that question. If you were to see a modern adaptation of another Shakespeare play, what would it be, and therefore would it be the ones that we just said? Mine would not. I don't think that Macbeth would would translate as well to modern times. I think that having the analog of swords to guns changes would change it. Okay. I think. I'd but now I'll have to think about which one I would want to be modern times. Yeah. I'd be interested, I guess, in a... I would watch it. I'd be... In it would be I just don't think it would be as good and I think I guess for the import or for the, the purposes of this question it would still it would be like these two one where it was the original Shakespearean language still but in a modern setting and I think that Othello would look neat that way and I think the Hamlet would look, would look neat that way too I'll probably say Hamlet Hamlet's that's a big play it is that's what Hamlet's really annoying to me too. Like I really <laughs> Hamlet, don't the like character Hamlet. annoys me a lot in the first two thirds of that piece. Well, and it's just really that play is not nice to women either. Oh no, it's not. I think it might just be because I just watched Midsummer again for the second time. But I would love to see a modern Titus Andronicus. Okay, I don't know That's what happens. That's the one, in that one where they're like cutting people's tongues out and making 
meat pies before Games of Thrones, like Game okay. of Thrones did it. I think I would love to see like Hugh Jackman, like on this quest to get revenge for his daughter that's been murdered, and then he goes out and just kills a bunch of people and puts them into pies and stuff. Oh yeah, I would okay. watch that. Yeah, yeah. What was the one that you and I went and saw at? Um, at, at live. Oh, Twelfth Night. Yeah, we saw, we saw Twelfth Night. That's, uh, She's the Man. Yeah, but it was all, a, it was all, like, they were all on a beach. Like, it was just, like, a beach resort, oh, and they were all, really in, like, nice. it was really cool. They were all in, like, Aloha shirts, and had, like, Corona and stuff like that. It was really, it was a fun way to see that play. Mm-hmm. Also, pirates are in it. Mm-hmm. That's one of the ones with pirates. I think, or a modern Julius Caesar like a political thriller? They would make it like a political, like okay. a modern, yeah. they would set it, the, the politics would translate well from one like that Absolutely. to like a modern time. Absolutely. I've not seen any of his histories. Have you read them? No. <laughs> I don't read. <laughs> Have you tasted them? Yes. Oh. They taste like paper. <laughs> I saw King Richard. Is it King Richard? can't remember i get all the king ones mixed up i saw it in dallas like the shakespeare at the park and i love shakespeare like i'm a huge nerd for that and i almost fell asleep (laughs) yeah i feel like now let me say i am a fan of shakespeare as much as as much as i like shakespeare in the park i feel like the histories is a bad idea for shakespeare in the park yeah Maybe stick with the classics. Or even well, not even are. the classics, but do something like a comedy or a tragedy where it's a little bit more loud and, and reasonable to watch. I don't know. In a Maybe setting like that. I was in college, so I might have just been tired. I fell asleep. I fell fully asleep the entire t- the entire way through Planet Earth. It was my first semester of college. I had just finished finals. The my documentary? Parents like, yeah. My parents were like, you want to go see Planet Earth at the Dollar Theater? And I'm like, oh, sure. I mean, that's Ten David minutes deep. Voice, though. You and I was the book asleep. Yes. Like, I had soda and popcorn and everything. I had fallen fully asleep. I want a soda. I think I you just you fall asleep in a lot of movies. I fall asleep in a lot of movies, you guys. Like, like it was like the crux of Desolation of Smog, and I, you were completely <laughs> asleep when I looked over Warcraft is a movie I love, and I had to watch it you three times before I could see it fully through. <laughs> it's just once he gets comfy, he's gone. <laughs> and yeah. movies make me feel comfy. God, every time my dad's like, hey, let's go to the Cedars Alamo Draft House and sit in the front row, they've got the reclining seats. I'm like, I'm out. I'm going to have to go. I'm gonna, I immediately I buy a second ticket to that movie because I'm not going to watch it the first time. Uh, let's see. I have other questions. I can't remember what that Do you have any questions? Yeah, do you have any questions for us? Um, I, th- I think I was thinking a lot about foreshadowing okay. with these two plays. There's a lot of like foreboding, mm-hmm. foreshadowing. What was maybe the piece of foreshadowing in either play that really like gave something away to you guys? Hmm. I did like in the Romeo plus Juliet how they have the visual foreshadowing like when he first takes yes. the drugs he kind right. of sees sees the future quote unquote but yeah. that he you get to that scene later and then you Bill had pointed out while we're watching you're like oh it's it's well, he saw it before because Devin reminded me <laughs> <laughs> your boy don't well, do well with somebody what I really like about the Romeo and Juliet one is like everyone knows how that play ends you know what yeah, I right. mean like yeah. everyone knows going into it that they're gonna die yeah. but I love how Baz Lorman still somehow makes you kind of forget about that a little bit. Yeah, and you get so fully involved yeah. in his world that you forget that what you're watching is a thing that everybody Those knows. Those neon crosses show up a lot, though, <laughs> which are really cool, by the way. I would oh, like yeah. Those oh yeah, at yeah. my funeral, neon crosses. Oh, I was gonna put one up on, like in, in the house, <laughs> <laughs> right there. Yeah. Oh, that'd be beautiful. Uh, I don't know. I think that it. I don't know if this tech, I don't know if it counts as foreshadowing, but the warnings that you were talking about at the beginning of both plays, I like the song in What You Do About Nothing. I just really like the song, and it is also foreshadowing. And how cool was they animated the newscaster in? I Korea really like that a like lot. That's I a think that's one great of way to modernly things. switch that instead yeah. of because can't try to have like a narrator without. Yeah. Yeah. You know, or the muses, or her, right. know, in the Greek ones, it's always the muses that start the story. You want to make sure that it it, it doesn't 
feel like a Baz Luhrmann movie with a narration like that would feel weird without some other context like in Gatsby it's I mean he's writing the book because that's yeah, how he has in the yeah. book as well and in uh, like in this it's the yeah it's the newscasters what's your favorite piece of foreshadowing oh I mean definitely the song in yeah. Much Ado like that's I love when an author can go back and like put the whole of their work into like a tiny yeah a little thing. teal yeah. a little overture yeah. yeah yeah. I love that um, I have another question okay uh, this question is also partly from uh, Nick Mikesell because ah, to quote from two films for here yes, yes. the Nick Mikesell <laughs> school of thought yeah movies are better if somebody dies at the end let 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 that sink in for a second. So movies are better if someone dies at the end. Yes. So we we've kind of talked about how both movies say something about society or comment on something. Which one do you guys think does a better job? Because Romeo and Juliet, you know, is obviously a very tragic ending. There's a lot of death, and then Much Ado, not so much. Which one do you think does a better job? Romeo and Juliet certainly puts the fear of God in you. Don't fuck this up or you'll die. <laughs> if you fight with your friend and then have kids, your kids are going to die. They're going to fall in love and die. Right. But, I mean, at the same time, in Much Ado, Hero is, you know, killed, yeah. theoretically, from public disgrace. The way her own dad acts towards her. Right, is, that, that scene right after. Yeah. He basically says, rough. I wish you had never been born. Why didn't I have a? Why did I only have one child? Because the one I have is so terrible. Right. That's pretty messed up. Yeah. He comes around, but his his initial reaction. Right. Is he bad. comes around, but he takes a bit to get there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think that they both do a really good job, and I think that I think that I react better to Much Ado About Nothing, while although we have discussed not being fully comedic, at the very least has a lighter tone. Yes. I don't. I you you attract more flies with honey than vinegar. Do you attract any flies with vinegar? No. Do you attract the most flies with manure? <laughs> <laughs> oh, now I feel like an ass. I stole that joke. That's not my original joke. That ass stole the manure. That's yeah. how it works. It's a Woody Harrelson joke. <laughs> Thanks. Cheers. <laughs> Which one do you think this is about? Um, I, I feel like there's more to think about with much ado okay because you kind of have to dig deeper you have to really think about the characters you have to think about the decisions they make and in romeo and juliet basically the whole time you're kind of like wtf like yeah. no rational person would do this yeah. or it's it seems too far-fetched to have any bearing on reality okay romeo and juliet kind of slaps you in the face like don't do that right and let's do about nothing you don't realize until like, much do about nothing yeah, it's a slow burn pretty much says this like, does happen all right. the time why? Yeah. And then whispers. I know why. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Tyler, what did you think? I think that Much Ado does it better, and especially with the modern setting, but Romeo and Juliet resonates with me more personally. Yeah. But I think, sure. again, that's just from my familiarity with it, because I think it is a little on the nose with it. On the nose. Because of, of the cocaine? Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is what we were talking about before we started. This movie, Much Ado About Nothing, is made by Joss Whedon and all of his friends. Yeah. Is this movie... Is this version of this play more engaging if you know all of these people? Are you more excited watching at least the first time this movie because you can say, Oh, hey... It's Captain Reynolds. Oh, hey, it's Dr. Simon Tam. Oh, hey, it's Topher from Dollhouse. I know, I already know what your answer is going to be because you yes. love doing that with every movie. Every <laughs> single one. The answer would, of course, be yes. See the summary a little bit ago. <laughs> or literally any summary I've done for the show. I would say kind of because I liked how Joss Whedon purposefully put people in the type of role that they wouldn't normally get to play. Okay. Because, like, Amy Acker, who plays Fred and Angel, mm -hmm. and, like, a lot of her roles 
have her as more sort of like a timid, quiet, sort of like a mousy, you know, woman. Interesting. Beatrice is not that. No, no. And uh, he also gave Simon Tam. Right. I can't remember the actor's actual name. But doctor. he... he <laughs> yes, <laughs> Doctor. Uh, he plays the villain, Don John, because mm-hmm. he told Joss Whedon that he had never played a villain before. And so he put him oh. in that role. Right. And I feel like Nathan Fillion, you know... Now plays more comedic roles, but even right. still doesn't but really play an idiot, usually. Maybe, yeah. Well, he, yeah, and like he had played like Captain Hammer and right. stuff like that. And I feel like Joss likes using him for that sort of idiot right. comedic... He, he does it really well. Right. So he plays well. it very but well. But most of the time, you know, on screen, he's sort of that charming, Oh, yeah, he's smart, a smart... Right. Like, Captain Reynolds is not an idiot. Right. Castle is not an idiot... Mm-hmm. What's the, his the archetype I use for that, I think of Indiana Jones. Yeah. yeah. He's like the, he's attractive and smart and suave. He's and charming. Capable, he's, yeah. he's like everything. Yeah. Right. But in, usually in Joss's stuff, he gets to play just dumb. real dumb. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, it was also like Clark Gregg, who yeah. plays Agent Coulson. He was not supposed to be in the movie. That's um, right. Who originally, was to be Anthony in? Head, who plays Giles and Buffy, yeah. was going to play the role. Which he normally plays that sort of fatherly type of thing. So I liked getting to see Clark, Clark Gregg. Right, right, because yeah, no one. If you if I think of Anthony Head as a, as Giles and Buffy, I would think, okay, yeah, this would probably not be the first time he's mm-hmm. done. I mean, certainly not the first time he's done Shakespeare, and mm-hmm. probably not the first time he's done much about nothing, much to do about nothing. Mm-hmm. But it was cool to see Clark Gregg and um, Alexis Denisoff, who plays Wesley in Buffy and Angel. Mm-hmm. Like he always plays. First of all, I always see him, like, as British. Yeah. So it's weird hearing his original <laughs> accent. Who uh, is he in this? Uh, Benedict. Oh, okay. He always sort of plays, like, a straight-laced, sort of very proper, uh, rule-following kind of, you know, gentleman. Yeah. And so in this, he's just kind of an asshole. Yeah. Okay. Tyler, as someone who did not know these people, these actors as much, how did you feel with your level of engagement in this movie as a whole the first time and would you feel more engaged had you known more of them I feel like I would have been more engaged if I'd known more of them but also I was also already very engaged because it was a podcast movie so okay. I was paying I mean, attention yeah, to it more than other movies not that you would have been like oh we're going to do a podcast about this later I'm going to walk out of this movie no obviously you're interested in the movie but w- and would your level of already interestedness have been more I think had so had you known them okay I think so that was a very Bill question. Yeah. Because you love playing, like, Kevin Bacon. Like, Oh, yeah. In, pl- in movies. I've played being... Kevin Bacon three times <laughs> in movies. No, but, yeah, trying to figure out the connections between actors yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Man, the entire time I'm watching Midsummer, I'm like, oh, hey, it's the guy from the That Thing. Oh, it's the guy from the That Thing. No, I'm used- when we first started dating, I used to get really irritated, silently, of course, because <laughs> every time we would watch a movie, he would have his phone in his hand, and I was like don't yeah. watch a movie with me if you're not going to pay attention. But then I realized it was just because he, he was, was constantly <laughs> IMDb-ing things. Come on. Constantly. Wikipedia, please. <laughs> oh, well. My girlfriend uses IMDb for the same, exact same thing. Yeah. Once it's like, do I, I know that person. You have to find out. You right. have to know. Immediately. Yeah. You know them yeah. Oh, you're telling me my phone died half the way through midsummer, so I couldn't look up the people. <laughs> Plus, there's not a lot of internet out in this. Uh... Okay, so a thing that I remember from freshman and freshman year of high school English is that Shakespearean plays the text does not have a lot of stage direction. Like there's not a lot of mm-hmm. like and then this person walks here and picks up the thing or whatever. It's mostly just the dialogue like and most them, plays right, have the coming yeah. in and coming out of well, the scene. Yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. Does the modern versions of these plays take liberties with the lack of stage direction A, and based on what you, Devin, was saying about the explicit nature of Benedict and Amy Acker's relationship, does the subtlety of the Joss Whedon version make the liberal view of the lack of stage direction more egregious because it's more obvious because the whole thing is more subtle. 
Well, I think that the reason they may not have, or you're saying like they don't have a lot of stage directions, yeah. is because they don't need stage, like text stage directions, because the characters often narrate what they're doing, what I'm picking up, or what yeah, I'm doing, where true. I'm going. Yeah. Okay. Because that was sort of of the time, like everything was exaggerated because yeah. you had this huge theater, like. We can't really be minimalistic here. I need to broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> and for the, it was a courtesy for right. the blind, yeah. uh, you know. And they had subtitles for the deaf. Right, exactly. <laughs> but they had to broadcast. Yes. You guys flipping them, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is subtitles. Yeah, like this is what I'm doing. Yeah, okay. So they don't need okay. stage directions. But I think... Joss Whedon maybe included that. Right. Because, well, it's kind of controversial, honestly. Because in many productions of Much Ado, like, that's supposed to be hinted at. Because the whole, like, crux of the conflict in Much Ado is the fact that Hero slept with this other man when before she was married. Right. And so that's supposed to be this huge deal. Yeah. And so to outright say that like they had sex before the action of the play and that's the reason why they're so mad at each other is a little controversial for the play. Okay. Um, but I think he also included it for modern audiences so you would not really you would like the main characters a little bit more. Okay. Yeah. I, I can re- remember I re- distinctly remember not picking up on that subtlety in the Kenneth Branagh one when mm-hmm. I watched that the first time. Yeah. Because in the so. in the play, really, the, the hints that you have at the beginning, they're sort of, they see each other for the first time, and mm-hmm. Beatrice is already out here swinging, like, oh, this guy's come, like, I promised to eat all of his killing because he's a terrible soldier and probably didn't kill anybody or anything. And then he sort of comes back at her, and the only thing you have is at the very end, she says the line, I know you of old. Yeah. And... Like in that line, there's a lot of. There's a lot of. I know you went in <laughs> bed, right? And then I know you later biblically on. <laughs> old an hour ago. Later on in the play, she also says that um, he gave me his heart, and I gave him use for it. And so there's some implication there that they were romantically entangled. And there's a joke where uh, Don Pedro asked her. Uh, if she, I can't remember, but she basically says, um, I protected myself so I wouldn't be the mother of fools, talking about Benedict. Ah. So there are, like, but a lot of that is just Shakespearean. Like, he has very, like, body jokes in general. Yeah. But I don't think a lot of audiences may have picked that up on first watch. Okay. No, that makes sense. If. So Boz Lerman has done two things that we as Americans were supposed to have read in high school. And Joss Whedon did another one that I read in high school. If you could have Boz Lerman and Joss Whedon both adapt adapt another thing, another literary classic, what would you want each of them to adapt? I'd want them both to do Animal Farm. <laughs> we talked about watch, that. Yeah, yeah, because I'd want to see them both. Boslem is doing cat style animal farm, like oh. just all of these really yeah. bad animal costumes. And the Joss Whedon one would be like this. It would be in black and white, and they, they, they would suits. They, yeah, they wouldn't even be Their animals. Ties would be it's those just really horrible Goodwill find ties that are printed with animals, and that's how you know what animal he is. <laughs> I'd watch that. <laughs> They're just they're regular people in suits, but they've got fake noses that are the animal that they are. I would like to see a um, Boz Lerman Macbeth, though. Okay. And I, I did mean, read Macbeth in high school. If 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 Romeo and Juliet is sort of set in the '90s, and then um, Moulin Rouge is set in the twenties. <laughs> 1800s. Romeo and Juliet? No. Uh, Moulin Rouge, the movie. Is oh. Set in yeah, like the 40s? It's European maybe? history, so I've yeah. got no idea. I would say um, the 20s. I want to. If, if yeah. I have to see a modern Macbeth, oh, okay. I want it to be like 
Well, but I would love to see Boslerman do something with castles and ghosts and medieval. Yeah. I would love to see Boslerman do something medieval, and Macbeth would be really cool. But, oh yeah, I mean, like, like a, uh, like yeah, a 1920s it's mobster, a yeah, yeah, like it's a not Prohibition a era Macbeth would be freaking dope. <laughs> I'd watch that. the hell out of that. I don't know if I have I an wanna, answer I want Baz Luhrmann to do, like, the Count of Monte Cristo. Oh, oh, that would be cool. Yeah. That was one of my favorites from high school. I would I would absolutely watch that. that a lot of awesome cool. settings. Yeah. It's a lot of awesome, awesome settings story. and settings that he, he likes story. to use. That's like, like the best revenge story. Oh, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> I'm the only one that hasn't read, right? You've read it? I haven't finished it yet. Okay. That's what I'm reading. Okay. Now. Uh, but I'm just going off the movie that we watched. Yeah. So I like that movie. I want Joss Whedon to do Catcher in the Rye. Oh, I think he could relate. I want Tommy Wiseau to do Catcher in the Rye. <laughs> <laughs> I think Joss Whedon thinks he is like Holden right. Caulfield, I feel like though. Joss Whedon reads Catcher in the Rye. He's a really and angsty like guy. Caulfield. Ugh, I feel like we are all Holden Caulfield at some point, as yeah. opposed to people who read Catcher in the Rye and they're like, "Man, I think we we were once Holden Caulfield, and I'm so glad we're not now." Because I feel like Joss Whedon is really known for like sort of snappy dialogue, like mm-hmm. really like witty stuff, but his body of work is very dark. Yeah. Very tragic. Yeah. I think that's. Catcher in the Rye would really be his thing. Joss Whedon doing a 90s Catcher in the Rye. Oh, yes. Absolutely. I would watch that. What do I want Boz Lerman to do? I want Boz Lerman to make another movie. <laughs> he is. He's oh, doing, he is. He's, he's doing, doing an Elvis an biopic. An Elvis biopic. That's cool. going to be so cool. That's going to be dope. I'm so excited about that. And yeah. somebody is playing Colonel Tom Parker that I thought was a really cool person to play him, and I can't remember who now. You guys all have the internet. It's Colonel Tom Parker. Those are who are listening. Colonel Tom Parker is playing Colonel Tom Parker, which is so weird because dude was old and wrinkly when Elvis. Tom I, Hanks. Tom Hanks, that's right. Tom Hanks is playing Colonel Tom Parker, who is not a very nice person. And so it'll be interesting to see Tom Hanks play maybe someone a little bit more sinister, unless we're going for a, a bit of a revisionist Elvis. <laughs> Colonel Tom Parker. That's a story for a different day. Anyways, <laughs> do you guys have anything else to say about these things? No, I'm just so glad that you guys asked me. I'm so glad that you were able to come watch on. one of my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. And also picture. Romeo plus Juliet. <laughs> <laughs> one of your favorite movies and one of your favorite directors and also another one of your favorite directors. Absolutely. Yes. And one of your favorite writers. Mm-hmm. Baz Luhrmann. One of my absolute favorite set directors and costuming Clark Gregg is your Mastermind. favorite actor. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Clark Gregg. Yeah. Oh. Clark Gable. Was it both of them? I think this is getting away from me. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. All right, well, thank you guys for listening. Did you Wait, Tyler, did you have anything else you want to say? No. I don't have anything else I want to say. <laughs> thank you guys for listening. And, uh, and we love you. We love you. <laughs>